So today we're going to wrap up our series that we started three weeks ago entitled Three. And we've been talking about three days in the last week of Jesus' life. And we started out three weeks ago talking about Palm Sunday. That was the first day we talked about. And we talked about how that on Palm Sunday Jesus declared his identity, how that Jesus established his authority, and how that Jesus demonstrated his love as he wept over the people and over the city of Jerusalem. Last Sunday, we celebrated and looked at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We looked at a 24-hour window in which Jesus was willing to submit his life to the will of the Father. He was willing to accept that cup of suffering that he drank from so that you and I could not only be saved eternally, but healed emotionally, mentally, and physically through the power of God. And then he ultimately, on the cross, died for the sins of the world. Today, we're going to look at what is really the foundation stone, the pinnacle, the crown jewel of the Christian faith. It is called the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to understand about the resurrection is the resurrection is critical to everything that we've talked about. As a matter of fact, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the miraculous life that he lived, his suffering and his death on the cross are all useless, worthless, and in vain unless Jesus rises from the dead. Everything that he said, did and everything that he said up to this point is 100% contingent on the realization that Jesus rises from the dead. Because if he does not rise from the dead, then his birth, his life, and even his death do not have the power to fulfill everything that he promised to those who would believe in him. The Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13 and 14. He says, For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Literally in vain, worth nothing. Paul says if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, then all of our preaching, all of our churches, all the thousands and millions of people gathered around the world today celebrating the church and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if he hasn't been resurrected, then it's all useless, it's all worthless, and it's all in vain. And not only is our preaching in vain, but he says our faith is in vain. Your faith, your hope, your belief that one day you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven, that there is a better life, that there is an eternal life. All of that is contingent on one thing. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Because it is his resurrection that seals the deal on everything that he said. And without the resurrection, everything that he said and everything that he did was just a good thing, a great thing, an amazing thing. But it wasn't a God thing that has the power to change our lives unless Jesus rises from the dead. So look with me in Luke chapter 24. Because we're gathered here today because we believe he did rise. Amen? He is not dead. He is alive. Can I get an amen from somebody today? Luke 24, it's the first Easter morning. And the Bible says this. Now on the first day of the week, that would actually have been Sunday very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men standing by them in shining garments. 
And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Maybe one of my favorite quotes in the entire Bible. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Come on, somebody. He is risen from the dead. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And verse 8 says, and they remembered his words. So this morning, let's talk about three moments on Resurrection Day. Three significant events that happened as the result of the resurrection of Jesus the first one is simply this. On Resurrection Day, look at that first point on your outline. Jesus conquered death and hell. He conquered death and hell. And he became the first fruits of the resurrection, guaranteeing us eternal life in a resurrected, glorified body. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, conquered death and hell. Let's talk about that for just a moment. Revelations chapter 1 Verse 17 and 18, John the Apostle is on the island of, island of Patmos and he is in a vision. He is in the Spirit on the Lord's day and Jesus appears to him. And the Bible says this, And when I saw him, I fell to his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen? And I have the keys of hell and of death. Have you ever wondered what happened during the three days that Jesus was in the grave? Have you ever wondered what did Jesus do for those three days from the time of his crucifixion to the time of his resurrection when he showed himself to the women at the tomb that morning, literally to Mary Magdalene who sees him before he ascends? Have you ever wondered what happened? Well, I want to talk to you today just a little bit about what I believe according to Scripture happened in those three days. Jesus conquered death and hell. That word hell is in the Greek, it means Hades. And the word Hades literally means the holding cell for disembodied spirits. It is the place of the dead. And for three days, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm not going to give you all these scriptures because I want you to go home and do a little homework. If you want to write down 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 through 22, the Bible tells us that before Christ ascended, which happened on the day of his resurrection, and we're going to read that in just a minute, he first descended to the lower parts of the earth. If you remember what Jesus said, he said, As Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. That's why most theologians actually believe that hell, what we call hell, what the Greek word is Hades, is actually in the center of the earth. And Hades is a holding cell. It is a place for all those who died before Christ. Think about this. Adam and Eve to John the Baptist. Everyone that died before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was not able to enter into the presence of God. Let me talk to you about death real quick and I'm going to come back to Hades. Jesus conquered death. He has the keys. He has authority over death. The word death means to die, but it literally means to be separated. When your body dies, guess what happens? Your body and your spirit separate. And the moment your body and your spirit separate, you what? You die. Spiritual death means separation from God. 
It means that your spirit, which is the eternal part of you, has been disconnected from intimacy and relationship with the Father, and you cannot enter into nor experience the fullness of His presence because sin has brought death, and death has separated you from God. If you remember in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said this to Adam and Eve. He said, if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will die. Well, guess what? They ate. And they didn't die physically. They died spiritually. They were spiritually disconnected from God, unable to enter into the fullness of His presence. So everyone that died before Christ, under the old covenant, was unable to enter into the presence of God because Jesus told us in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me, he said. So when Jesus died and ultimately rises again, Jesus conquers death. He remedies the separation because he paid the penalty for our sin. But not only does he conquer death, but now he descends to Hades where he then for three days preaches and proclaims that he is the Savior of the world, the fulfillment of the law, the one who died so that you might live. Now let me just give you some little thoughts and you guys can go home and ponder some things this week and hopefully search the scriptures out. If you remember, Jesus told the story of a rich man and Lazarus. Y'all remember that story? Some of you know it. It's John, uh, it's in the Gospel of Luke if you want to look it up. Jesus tells the story that there was a rich man and there was a beggar named Lazarus and they both died. And Jesus said that Lazarus was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now let me tell you, Abraham's bosom. God is never called Abraham in the Bible. He is the God of Abraham. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham is considered the father of our faith. And so Jesus said that the Lazarus died and was carried into Abraham's bosom. Do you remember what Jesus told the thief on the cross? He said, today you will be with me where? In Paradise. Paradise and Abraham's bosom by theologians are considered to be the same place. It is a place in Hades. It was the holding cell for all those who died before Christ, who died under the law. So if I was a Jew who honored and obeyed the law, when I died under the law, I would go to a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. It was a holding cell. It literally was a prison. That's why the Bible says he preached to those spirits in prison because they were bound, separated from the very presence of God. But then Jesus flips the coin and says the rich man was in hell and he was tormented in the flame. And then the Bible says this. It says that the rich man in hell looks and he sees Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he asked Father Abraham to send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool his tongue because he was tormented by the flame. And then Father Abraham says, we can't come to you because there is a chasm or a gulf fixed between us. So it sounds like it's a place called Hades separated by this chasm where those in hell and those in paradise actually could see one another, but they could not cross one to another. So those in hell were those who died outside of the law of God, those who had rejected the law of God, and they were being held in a place of torment. And when Jesus died, he descended. Ephesians 4 tells us he's descended. The book of Revelation, Romans tells us he descended. And throughout scripture in the New Testament, we find out that Christ not only ascended, but first the Bible says he descended and preached himself. So that all men from Adam 
to now that no person could stand before God and say that they never knew the hope of the gospel that was available to them through Jesus Christ. And for three days, he preached himself. That's pretty cool preaching. If I ever start preaching myself, y'all need to leave. But Jesus can preach himself. He preached himself as the Savior and the Redeemer of the world. That whosoever, from Adam to John the Baptist to me and you now today, would believe in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Ephesians chapter 4 says that when Christ finally ascends to the Father, that he carries captivity captive. Those that were bound were now loosed if they believed in and accepted Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Now you might say, Pastor Keith, that seems a little strange, a little odd. I've never heard that before. Wonderful. Go home and study your Bible. Amen? Good stuff. So let's talk about the fact that not only did he conquer death and hell, not only did he liberate us from our eternal separation from God, but he also became the first fruits of the resurrection. I want you to look with me in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, he says, but in fact Christ was raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of the great harvest of all who have died. So you see that just as death came into the world through one man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. And just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. He was raised as the first fruits. What's interesting is God is so detail-oriented that Jesus was brought into Jerusalem. He rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the 10th day of Nisan, which was the day that they would put the lamb up to examine it for four days. On Passover, Jesus died, which was the day they would slaughter the lamb and put the blood over the doorposts of their house. And then after three days of being in the grave on the 8th, day Jesus rises from the dead which was actually the beginning of the festival of first fruits it was the day that the Jewish people celebrated that there was a brand new harvest coming in if you really want to get deep and if you really want to go a little bit further you can go back and you can look that the day that Jesus rose from the day dead is actually the day that the ark with Noah and his family landed on dry land and God declared a new beginning for the whole world everything that God did he did strategically purposely and crossed every T and he dotted every single I and Christ is the first fruits of that resurrection look what verse 24 says verse 23 I'm going to read it again it says but then there is an order to this resurrection Christ was raised as the first of the harvest but then all who belong to Christ will be raised physically raised he's talking about a bodily physical resurrection will be raised when he comes back and after that the end will come and he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father having destroyed every ruler and authority and power for Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death so Jesus conquered death and hell but there's coming a day at the final judgment that death and hell will actually be destroyed cast into the lake of fire with all those who have rejected Jesus as the Savior of the world. First Corinthians 15 verse 50, Paul goes on. He says, so what am I saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, 
but we will all be transformed. Let me give you some good news today. If you don't like your body, hang on, you're going to get a new one. Amen? If you don't like your body, just hang on, you're going to get a brand new one. Look what he says in verse 52. Speaking of the rapture of the church, it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life. Those who are dead in the ground, there will be a bodily resurrection. Their spirit will join their body. They will be raised incorruptible. Look what he says. And we who are alive will be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And then our dying bodies, having been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. When you look at Jesus after he ascends, we're going to see that in just a second. Jesus reveals himself in his resurrected glorified body. And he, and he gives us this example that he is the first fruits. He guarantees that not only are we going to live forever, but we're going to have a resurrected body that we're going to be able to enjoy the heavens and the earth because God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Y'all read your Bible, Revelations? He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth wherein it's going to dwell righteousness. And we're going to have glorified bodies that are immortal. When you look at Jesus' immortal glorified body after the resurrection, he could eat, he could drink. Praise God for that. I like food. How about you guys? And you could touch him. He had flesh. But at the same time he could walk through walls he could appear he could disappear he could think about being over there and he could be over there just that fast just think about it like this take all the Avengers and roll them up into one person that's what your new body's gonna be like take them all and roll it up into one body and that's what your new body's gonna be like all Hollywood does is take from the spirit realm manifested in the natural realm and we get excited about superheroes but we got a supernatural God and we're gonna have immortal bodies Thor don't have anything on you can't kill me can't stop me can't extinguish me I'll just keep coming back because that's what's gonna happen as a result of the of the resurrection of our bodies we're gonna receive glorified bodies that will be immortal, that will last forever and ever and ever. No sickness, no pain, no sorrow. Look at that next point. Jesus guarantees that. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. That second point, I want you to see the second thing that happened on Resurrection Day. Jesus ascends to the Father as the great high priest offering his blood to secure our eternal redemption. John chapter 20 verse 17 Jesus has now been resurrected from the dead it is early Sunday morning and Mary Magdalene sees him in the garden by the tomb and she thinks he's the gardener y'all kind of remember that story a little bit they think she thinks he's the gardener and Jesus calls her name and the moment Jesus calls her name she recognizes him. how many know there's something powerful about God calling your name God will call your name. He loves you so much, he knows you by name. And he will call your name. And when he called Mary's name, she said, Rabbi, Master, Teacher. She knew it was him. And look what Jesus says here. He's resurrected, resurrection morning. Jesus says this, don't touch me. For I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go and find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Jesus is resurrected on resurrection morning. Mary sees him. He says, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended 
to the Father. Now we're going to read in just a few minutes. He's going to come back later that day and present himself to the disciples after he's ascended. But I want you to see what he did when he ascended to the Father. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11 says this. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. And he has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. And with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. And under the old system, the old covenant, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. There was a physical cleansing. There was a ceremonial purity that would happen. But it never affected the heart. But look at verse 14. But just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sin. From sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. I want to talk about that little phrase for just a minute. The blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the true and the living God. Something happened that day when Jesus ascended into the presence of God in heaven on the day of resurrection. He as the great high priest entered into the holiest of holies in heaven and there as the high priest and as the lamb, he offered his own blood to secure and settle our redemption and to purify our conscience from sin. As I was praying about this this week, I really felt like the Holy Spirit showed me a couple things. He said, Keith, think about what the Bible says. The scripture says this. It says that the law brings the knowledge of sin. The purpose of the law in the Old Testament was not to make people righteous. It was actually, the Bible says, to declare men guilty. And without the law, there is no knowledge of sin. Think about it like this. If you're driving 75 miles an hour down the highway and you see a speed limit sign that says 55, all of a sudden the law reminded you of your sin. And all of a sudden when you saw the speed limit sign, you knew you were breaking the law. Because the law brings the knowledge of sin. It doesn't cleanse you of sin. It doesn't purify you of sin. It doesn't empower you to overcome sin. The law brings the knowledge of sin. But then the knowledge of sin, sin, so the law makes us sin conscious, but sin makes us self-conscious. Because the moment you're going 75 and you see the 55 mile an hour speed limit sign, you're aware that you're breaking the law and then you become self-conscious and you look in the mirror to make sure there's not a cop behind you. Immediately, you are now self-conscious. In the Garden of Eden, do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned? Do you remember the first thing that happened? The Bible says that they saw themselves that they were naked. And they hid from the presence of God. They had been naked the whole time. But until sin entered the world, they were not self-conscious. They were God-conscious. But the moment sin came, they became self-conscious. And let's just be honest. The greatest hindrance you have in your life is your self-consciousness. That's where insecurity comes from. That's where fear comes from. That's where worry comes from. That's where anxiety comes from. That's where despair comes from. 
It comes from a self-conscious awareness. And we are so self-conscious that we feel inadequate to accomplish the things that are before us. So the law makes us sin conscious. The sin, sin makes us self-conscious. But the blood of Jesus makes us God conscious. All of a sudden, Jesus redeems us, brings us back to what we lost in the garden. Adam and Eve were God conscious, but all of a sudden they became sin conscious and self-conscious. But now Jesus has purified our conscience so that there is now an awareness in the heart of humanity that says there is a God. See, Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 says this. It says that the whole world is without excuse. That a person living in a place that's never heard the gospel, never been to church, never read a Bible, never met a preacher, is going to stand before God and they're not going to have an excuse for not knowing there was a God or accepting Him. Why? Because Jesus, when He offered His blood on the altar in the holiest of holies, He purified the conscience of all humanity and He released a God consciousness so that even those who don't know God know there is a God. How many of you remember when you were lost, as 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 lost could be? There was something in you that says there is a God. Think about it. Why would a person who is an atheist who doesn't believe in God spend their entire life fighting against something they don't believe in? Unless there's something in them that they have suppressed, that they have denied, that they have rejected, that says there is a God. And they are so driven to disprove God, which in essence proves there is a God. <laughs> I was reminded of Helen Keller this morning after our first service. Helen Keller, who was born deaf and born blind, and I guess mute also. Could Helen Keller speak? She was mute also. Anybody know? Somebody here knows. Thank you very much. When Helen Keller started to learn Braille and she, she was tutored and she began to learn how to read and understand, the lady that was teaching her Braille began to read the Bible to her and teach her the Bible. And here's what Helen Keller said. When she heard about Jesus, this is what she said. She said, oh, that's his name. The lady said, what do you mean that's his name? She said, I accepted him a long time ago. I just didn't know his name. Blind and deaf, but God revealed himself to her. So that all the world is without excuse. When Jesus offered his blood, he purified the conscience of all humanity so that every person knows there is a God. The third thing, I want you to see this. Not only did he destroy, conquer death and hell, guarantee us a resurrected eternal life body, not only did he purify our conscience as the great high priest, but look at this next to our last point here. On resurrection day, Jesus released the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to fill us with resurrection power. We are literally raised to life, resurrected spiritually from the dead. When you got born again, when you accepted Jesus Christ, you went from being dead in your sins to being alive, connected, no longer separated, no longer abandoned, no longer isolated, but now joined spirit to spirit to the very heart of God. And John 
chapter 16, Jesus says this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And in John chapter 20, verse 19, it is Sunday. The Bible says that Sunday evening. It's before 6 p.m. because at 6 p.m. the day would change according to the Jewish calendar. So it was passing in the evening, but it was still Sunday. It was still resurrection day. The disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Bam, beam me up, Scotty. There he is. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke to them, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And on resurrection day, Jesus released the Spirit of God into the earth. He released the Spirit of the Lord to begin to come into the hearts and lives of people so that we could be born again, filled with the Spirit, raised to life by the power of God. Christianity is not an intellectual thing. It is a spiritual thing. And you can use your intellect, and God wants you to, by the way. But you can't intellectually or even just physically come to Christ. It is a spiritual decision that happens out of a heart that has been awakened to the realization that there is a God. And he sent his son Jesus to die for me. It's a powerful thing, guys. Ephesians chapter 2 says it this way. It says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, separated from God because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. For it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. We have been raised from the dead because of what Jesus did. His resurrection also raised those up who would believe through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, look at verse 11. It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in those who believe. And it's that same spirit that gives life to our bodies. We have been raised to life spiritually reconnected to the Father, spiritually united with Jesus because we have been born again and filled with resurrection power. Let me tell you something today. There is resurrection power flowing through your veins if you have believed and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So today's decision, let's talk about three questions we need to ask and we need to answer today. First question is simply this. Do you know that you'll be raised to life with Christ? I have people ask me every now and then, Pastor Keith, how do you really know that you know that you know that you have eternal life? How do you know that you're saved? And I always just simply say this. If you don't know that you're saved, you're probably not. Because if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead comes to live in your heart and your life, how can you not know that? 
How can you go from being dead to being alive, from being blind and now you see, from being deaf to now you hear? How can that transformation happen in your heart and your life and you not even know it? Let me tell you how it can't. <laughs> because when you get born again, your life changes. Something happens on the inside. And you may still mess up and you will, and you may still screw up and you probably will. And you may still come short of the glory of God because we all do. But there will be something internal living on the inside of you that will compel you to Christ. And that will refuse to allow you to be consumed by sin and by self and by the world. So do you know today if you're going to be raised to life with Christ? The second question. Have you accepted the offering of His blood for your sins. Have you accepted that? Have you accepted the offering that Jesus made? The Bible is very clear. It simply says this. If you reject the offering that Christ made for your sins, then there is no other sacrifice for your sin. There's no other way. If you reject His salvation, all you have left is the condemnation that comes from sin. And you can be moral, and you can be good, and you can be better than all the Christian people you know. But if you've not been born again, you're still dead in your sins, separated from God. And you'll spend eternity without Him. And last but not least, last but not least, have you been filled with resurrection power? I love John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die physical death, he shall live. Though he may die physical death, he shall live. Look at the next verse. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. You shall never be separated. Why? Because once Jesus came, there's no longer a paradise. There is still a hell where people that reject God spend in a holding cell. But there's no longer a paradise. There is now the presence of God. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And those who die in Christ do not sleep spiritually. Their body slumbers in the earth, but their spirit is caught up because they will never die. They will never be separated from the presence of God. And that's why Paul could boldly say, for me to live is Christ, but for me to die is gain. So the question today is, do you know that? Do you believe this? That's the question Jesus asked. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that whoever believes in me will never die? And if they physically die, they're still going to live because I have the keys of death and the grave. Look at Romans chapter 10 with me. We close with these two scriptures. Jesus said, if you confess with your, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. I want you to bow your heads this morning. If you're watching and joining us online today, I want you just to bow your head. Even right there where you're at, in your living room. Wherever you may be today, watching this message, listening to this message. This is a divine moment, guys. This is a divine moment. This is a divine time because right now, as we started this message, we said that everything that Jesus did hangs on one truth. Did he rise from 
the dead. And now we realize something. Now we realize that everything in our life hangs on the balance. And that is, do we believe that he rose from the dead? Do we believe that he died for our sin and three days later he conquered death and hell? He ascended to the Father, offered his blood as a sacrifice for our sin. And he sent the Holy Spirit to fill us with his presence and with his power so that we would never, ever be separated from him again. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I don't know if I've ever really been born again. I don't know if I've ever really made that decision. And it's as simple today to say, today's my day. I believe. I believe he died and he rose again. And today I want to confess Jesus as the Lord of my life. Everything in your life hangs on what you do with that one thing. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a hell. And there is a place of separation where those who reject God will spend eternity. But it's the good news of the gospel, the Bible says, that leads men to repentance. It's not the fear of hell that makes us come to Christ. It's the realization that there is a loving Father in heaven who loved you more than he loved his own son and offered Jesus to take your place on the cross as a substitute for your sin. And that if you would simply believe in him, make him the Lord of your life, you could be saved. So if that's you this morning, I want to ask you to do really something really simple today. If you're here today and say, Pastor Keith, I want, I want to be born again today. I want to be saved. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And I believe he died and rose again. You're talking to me right now. I want to be born again. If that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, just raise your hand. Just all over this building, just a simple act of faith. Today's my day. Today's my day. If you're watching online, won't you just hit that little hand emoji or just type in the comment box, I'm raising my hand. There's a real heaven, there's a real hell, and real people go there, guys, but there is hope, and the hope is Jesus. And if you've never experienced the resurrection power of God in your life, then today is your day. As you raise your hand, our ushers are going to just slip a little packet in your hand. It's just something for you to take home, something for you to, to understand a little deeper what happened today. But we want, to, we want to lead you in just a moment in a sinner's prayer. But I want to give you another minute. For those of you watching online, for those of you here today, if you're not sure of your salvation, today is the day the Bible says. And right now, the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. God has purged your conscience. And right now, there's something in your heart and your mind that says this is true. You need to do this today. You need to do this today. And you know, you know it's you. Just slip your hand up. It's just an act of faith. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father and His angels. But if you confess me, before men, I will confess you before my Father and His angels. Is there anyone else here today? We're about to pray. If you're watching online, I hope you raised your hand. I hope you typed in that comment box because today is your day. With every head bowed, let's just pray this prayer together. I'm going to ask everybody here in the room just to repeat it with me. Let's say it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And he rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Today I want to be born again. 
And I receive the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. Congratulations. If you prayed that prayer with us here in person or online, welcome to the family. Amen. And we're honored to have you. If you received a packet this morning, if you raised your hand, there's a little card on the front of that. If you'd fill that out, just give it to one of our ushers today before you leave. And uh, we'd love to just send you some more information and follow up with you and help you take that next step. Amen. How many of you thankful that Jesus is alive today? Anybody thankful? Amen. All right, Miss Chastity, you come on up here. We're going to draw out a winner if you want to get your ticket. Oh, my goodness. Chastity said nobody paid her, so I guess it's just free to go. Let's see who's going to be our winner today. All right. The last three numbers is what I'm going to call out. Seven, seven, eight. Right over there, seven, seven, eight. <laughs> Come on up. Melissa, congratulations, girl. You can take me to the movies. Awesome. I love you. Amen. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Well, let me just say this to you today before you leave. And uh, for you to pick your children up, a couple things. You're going to go down the center hallway. Uh, and Miss Cindy is right there. Miss Cindy, we're going to pick our kids up through the center hall. All right. So if you'll make your way down the center hallway, they will get your kids picked up. I also want to let you know, if you do not have a church family and you do not have a church home, we would love to have you be a part of Liberty Church and for you to be a part of what God is doing every Sunday morning, 8 and 9.30 here in Arab and 11 o'clock at Holly Pond. And we would just be honored and excited to have you. God bless you today. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. You are dismissed. Amen.